Workday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Market View time with JP Ong, our business reporter, alongside Jeff Howie, SGX market strategist, a regular contributor here on Money FM. Good to see you guys. And JP, um, some pretty good news, positive news uh, for Singapore. Yeah, positive news uh, for Singapore with regards to exports. I think this is what's keeping markets uh, uh, generally afloat at the moment. Well, let's start off first with how the markets are doing on the last trading day of this week. Well, there's good news and bad news. I'll start off with some of the bad news. And the Straits Times Index is now trading in the red. The actually down by about two points. Now, that's not a lot, but that's not the good news. The good news is, despite this, we're still coming off of a rather memorable week of gains. We've held on to that breach of 3,270. In fact, this week was all about, well, are we going to be able to hit 3,260? We've actually breached even that particular level. And so far, we're holding on to some of these uh, solid gains alongside most of the rest of the region. A lot of, uh, a lot of markets are currently trading in the green in the Asia-Pacific space. Um, there is a lot of positive economic data, and we'll start off with some of that data that we saw here in Singapore. So exports from Singapore have always been a bit of a challenging data point for the last eight years, for the last year and a half. Well, December's numbers were actually surprised to the upside. Many folks were expecting a bit of a decline, but December's exports actually grew by about 2.4%. How about that, right? Non-oil domestic exports, that is, up by 2.4%, beating a decline of 1% that had been predicted by economists who were polled by Bloomberg. Now, where did the growth come from, of course? It's always one of the things we have to ask, right? The numbers apparently were lifted by stronger exports of, get this, non-monetary gold, specialized machinery, and also pharmaceuticals. Now, over the last couple of months, whenever we got bad export data, this was one of the few bright spots that always uh, seemed to shine the exception to the rule. Pharmaceuticals, biotech, and, and, and biomedical products and exports seem to always surprise the upside. The one uh, bugbear, I guess, in the set of data, and uh, I will ask Jeff to comment on, on this also, is that the electronic sector remains soft. So electronics exports from Singapore did shrink by about 21.3%. So that's still very much dragging on some of the numbers. But this might not last for too long because a number of uh, private banks and uh, that uh, who, uh, who have released their investment outlooks have pointed to a possible recovery in uh, the industrial space. And uh, this was also encouraged by some decent industrial output uh, figures from China, where they saw industrial production actually beat estimates in December. Again, there's a lot of indicators out there that this could actually be bottoming out. So if, if, uh, if, the, if that is the case, or if the global electronic space actually starts to, to, starts to rebound, we could see this, uh, this uh, figure also recover pretty soon. But it could take a little bit of time. The good news, though, at least, some of the other exports in Singapore, more than enough to lift ec- overall exports from this country in the month of December. That's exactly right, JP. And you, you, the time, the time part of this is really important because what's what's making this a little bit more of a drawn out process than it would normally be is that we've had uh, such slow global growth mm-hmm. uh, last year particularly. I, I, we had the China numbers today, we, which yeah. we, which we can talk about, and that's a, that's the lowest uh, GDP growth rate for China since 1990. And globally, uh, IMF is expected on Monday to confirm that last year 2019 was also the, saw the slowest global GDP growth in 10 years. You mean since the global financial crisis? Exactly. 
but there's these bright outlooks at the same time. Uh, we're expecting growth deceleration to, uh, I guess, turn and accelerate somewhat this year. Uh, we've got, uh, in terms of our stock market, some of the um, some of the solid stocks that we saw in 2019 are continuing this year. Interesting, the REITs have mm-hmm. continued to be strong. We've seen manufacturing stocks continue to be strong. We've seen consumer staples stocks continue to be strong. Uh, but also in the STI, I, I'll just, um, as you talked about the STI before where it had closed, uh, yesterday's close was the highest close we've seen in the STI since the 7th of November. Mm-hmm. And what we've got a little bit different this time around in the year to date are the Jardines. Ah. The, yeah, Jardine Matheson and Jardine Strategic are up uh, 5% and 4% respectively in the year to date. Do you think this is a bit of a, of a, a rotation of some sorts? Because they were some of the biggest drags on the STI last year. Maybe folks are just saying, hey, maybe now's a good time to look at some of those valuations because they've come down. Well, and, and we've seen it in the banks as well. Uh, last year, last week, I should say, last Wednesday, DBS saw very strong trading volume with some big block married trades. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday we had the same thing with OCBC. And you look at uh, the history of the valuations of those stocks, you've got dividend yields uh, – pretty competitive, above 4%. You've got, um, in the case of OCBC, your price-to-book valuation near three-year lows. So we've seen... Possibly in the, in the, in the first couple of weeks, in the early uh, I guess the what we've got eleven sessions now in in twenty twenty, you've seen um, a lot more activity. If you look at the turnover for the stock market compared to where we were this time last year, our our turnovers up uh, more than twenty percent. And wow. it's yeah, very interesting too that you bring up these dividends also, and I think this is going to be the name of the game moving forward. You, I, I just came from the pri- the investment outlooks of UBS and City Private. I didn't get to go to the one for UOB, but the one thing they did talk about is one of the strategies that they seem to have in common is to look at some of these dividend yielding stocks because dividends are going to be an even more important friend for you in 2020. The one thing also that people highlight, and I, I might my, my number might be off by, by a couple of percentage points here, uh, basis points here, Jeff, but I think uh, the dividend yields for the STI and the SGX is about 4.2, 4. 4.3% 4. at the yeah, moment. Yeah, as a weighted index, just under 4. As a, under yeah, four. Just, just, just over 4. But that's still, that's still a significant, uh, notable premium over many other major markets. So if you're looking for some of these uh, sure-shot dividends, you might want to look at the old reliable horse, the SGX. Well, this is uh, Market View with uh, JP Ong and Jeff Howie, the SGX market. Strategists, we're talking about encouraging signs for the local economy. But as we look towards China, the guys touched on it. We've heard about uh, China's economy growing 6.1% in 2019, according to GDP figures released on Friday. And that's the country's weakest growth in nearly three decades, 29 years to be exact. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, 6.1% in some ways, you know, a lot of countries would love that. But for China, it's, it's not a good figure, is it? Right, it's a, the, a very high expectations when you're talking about the world's second largest economy, right, Jason? That is fair to bring up that it's at 6.1%, the lowest in about 29 years. Um, and it is raising questions as to, well, is this slowdown actually for real? A number of big, uh, I guess, development banks in the world have pegged China's GDP growth this year to fall below 6% for the first time in probably about the same amount of number of years. But I did want to point out a point to some encouraging signs. Alongside the GDP release today was a trifecta of uh, monthly indicators that China released. And this was for the month of December. And very interesting because uh, not only did we see industrial production beat estimates and handily beat estimates, economists were expecting industrial production in China to grow by 5.9%. It actually grew by 6.9%. So how about that? You've got this another indicator that maybe the uh, manufacturing space, the global manufacturing scene is starting to rebound. But here's what I find more interesting. 
Retail sales also beat estimates, 8% higher rather than the 7.8% estimate. Now, what was interesting was after the signing of the Phase 1 U.S.-China trade deal, um, uh, Chinese Vice Premier Liu He spoke to Xinhua News Agency and said that we think we believe that uh, that the economy grew above 6%. It came true, as he mm. said. But he also said that it's mostly being driven right now by, re- by consumer behavior and also uh, innovation more than some of these investments, more than some of these outbound exports at the moment. And this could be part and parcel of that. We also know that China has been trying very hard over the last four or five years to try and rebalance their economy from being industrially driven to consumer driven because it's been hard to convince Chinese folks to go out there and say, hey, spend. But it seems that they're doing that more and more so now. So again, the, the, uh, Jeff brought it up too. Like, uh, things are gradual when things change, especially in these sectors. I think it's just a gradual change, but you're starting to, it's starting to become more and more pronounced, at least from China. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was interesting. We, we talked about the data centers a lot mm-hmm. last year, Keppel DC rate being the strongest of our REITs in 2019, which was a very definitive year for, for the REIT sector. But the fifth uh, strongest REIT last year was Sessa REIT, which yes. has the outlet moors across, across China as well. So, and mainland China, if I'm not mistaken. Exa- exactly right. So, so the, yeah, that's definitely uh, an important aspect of it. But I think manufacturing the, has had such a, I guess, scaled effect across the world. So you're totally right about the observations about the Chinese consumer economy. It's the American consumer economy which has been holding America up too because mm-hmm. manufacturing has been really hit hard in the U.S. this year, as, as we've seen. Um, we had the, uh, the Empire State manufacturing number right. out this week. That has um, that came in just under five as a gauge, as a survey gauge for overall business conditions for New York manufacturing mm-hmm. companies. Back in its highs in 2017, when we were all amongst all the accelerating growth, that was up near 30. Near 30. It's, it's come. It's come down a lot. We've had uh, the the all the payrolls now for 2019. America created less than 50,000 manufacturing jobs in 2019, which compared to over 250,000 in 2018. And also in the last month in December, uh, while the overall number was up. Manufacturing jobs declined twelve thousand. Wow, that's not great for Donald Trump uh, to try and uh, um, you know, not, for his election uh, campaign. And I think it's also why the Federal Reserve, when they said the outlook for the economy, they they said it was positive and favorable, but it was modestly favorable. Mm. So that adjective is very important. Again, the devil's in the details mm. and the descriptions there. Um, modestly, because I think they've also taken note that yeah, there's still some more additional manufacturing jobs being added, but it's not at the same clip as Jeff mentioned. This is Market View with JP Ong and Jeff Howie, the S. SGX Market Strategist. I'm Jason Dacey here on Workday Afternoon. And Jeff and I uh, both hail from Australia. We're based in Singapore, but we have feet in both camps. And Australian shares hitting fresh records for the fourth straight day, driven by record low interest rates and lingering enthusiasm over that US-China trade deal phase one. The ASX 200 jumping 0.5% to 7,078 points a while back. Uh, maybe you can update us, uh, JP, what's happening? Well, he, well, here's another thing to put this into context. Um, there's an article in Bloomberg right now that's looking at the gains of Australia, the gains of stocks down under. Um, when you compare it to other developed world equity benchmarks, Australia's ASX 200 is also the best performing major benchmark. The next best one is the Danish stock exchange out in Copenhagen, which is up by 3.4% at the start of the year. Australia's ASX 200 now up by 5.4% and also breached 7,000 for the first time, I believe, in their entire history. We talked, uh, you know, it's been very interesting to watch Australian markets because 
uh, there seems to be a built-in sleeper hedge in Australia, and I could be wrong. I'll defer to Jeff because he's been looking at these markets more closely than I have. But whenever markets start to go risk off, suddenly, as we mentioned before, Jason, the gold miners and the and the oil producers in Australia start to take over the wheel and say, "Relax, I got this. I'm going to drive this rally." Whenever they back off, suddenly everyone goes like, "Well, what kind of stimulus are we going to see from the RBA?" What kind of uh, how how are some of these cyclical stocks going to fare out in Australia? And then they take over uh, some of the, some of this rally. So you've seen this a, a bit of a tag team going on between the defensive and cyclical stocks in Australia. That regardless of what the mood is in the markets, they seem to have been going up. Now the question is: You're above seven thousand. You're at all time highs. Is this the time to start taking profit? And that's always the question. And also the question with 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 the SGX or the STI hitting their highest since November. Maybe that you're also seeing a bit of a haircut going. Wait, maybe it's time to just take a little bit, put a little bit in the pocket before Chinese New Year. I don't know. I mean, but uh, but so far it's been a rather impressive. And I don't want to jinx it. By the way, it's been an impressive two weeks. First two weeks for markets out in Sydney, right? Well, it's and it's a testament to having a diversified stock market. Like you said, having different defensive and cyclicals, having different sectors and right. so forth has been really important uh, during these, uh, I guess, the synchronised slowdown, which has also seen a lot of sectors move in a very similar fashion, i.e. energy, manufacturing, consumer staples here in Singapore or in Australia, across Asia Pacific, have all moved in tandem somewhat with basically the global outlook so tied together, so 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 much uh, in sync. Um, but Look, yeah, Australia has has started well. Could for all you know, it could be Singapore investors who who made great money last year in Singtel and Fraser Logistics Trust. I right. think uh, Singtel last year was up twenty one percent. Fraser Logistics and Industrial Trust was up twenty eight percent. They're a big, they're our big Australian plays, and, and maybe yeah, right. And a lot of the REITs here, they there has it's been noted that the, that the REITs slowly but surely have started to take more notice of property in Australia. Also, Fraser is just one of them. We have a number mm. of other REITs that during the bushfires were just. A ongoing have had to comment about whether or not their property investments in Australia have been damaged. Most of them said, you know, we're mostly in the urban areas. We haven't really seen much of an impact, but we're monitoring things closely. But it goes to show that a lot of investors here are concerned about what might bring the Australian economy up and what might bring it down also. Well, so I want to follow into up point. on that. Yeah, with Jeff, you know, mm-hmm. is he, you know, we both got families in Australia and the bushfire disaster, Jeff, and, and how that may impact things going forward, you know, when we look at uh, 2020 in Australia, obviously a great start, a record-breaking start, but what's the outlook? Do you think? Yeah, for right now, the the outlook's the rain. I mean, we've got a lot of rain over the last 24 hours in southeast Australia, which, which is a blessing. But not, nonetheless, we, we've still got challenges. Uh, the, I think for the uh, repairing, obviously, there's not, there's 30 lives that have been lost, uh, not to mention all the wildlife that we have discussed a lot on this program. Uh, there's still Australia has a lot of challenges uh, ahead, and uh, I know that the the friends I have in finance and all the uh, I guess the industrial segments they are still really keen to pursue collaborations with Southeast Asia and to really um, I guess integrate with some of the growth we're going to see in the region. So we've, we've still got a lot to offer in terms of capital flows, in terms of trade uh, opportunities, uh, but nonetheless um, I guess those those food producing industries that. Uh, we're going to be watching very closely. Like yeah. dairy, for example. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Re- rebuilding and reconstruction also 
yields its own opportunities as well. And hopefully, you know, thing, the smoke clears sooner rather mm. than later and will actually uh, give Australia a chance to start rebuilding. And final word, Jeff, about the real estate market. We saw uh, Sydney and Melbourne doing doing quite well, rebounding a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it is a diverse offering. Uh, many and many of our REITs do have uh, a form of exposure in Australia, even Keppel DC REIT, which had headed the performances mm-hmm. of them last year. And it's interesting when a lot of the REIT uh, C-level executives of the managers come and speak to our investors at SGX, they were always making the point that Sydney property market is very different to Melbourne, very different mm. to Brisbane, very different I to can Ad- imagine. Adelaide. Yeah, exactly. I can imagine. Exactly. So there's an element of good diversity too for investors that, uh, yeah, that they are out of tune a little bit somewhat, these property prices at the moment. Yeah, and I think prop- that that is though part and parcel for any property market. Even in Singapore, you might even say that the property mm. mar- uh, markets in the different regions of the city are very different from each other. Very true, yeah. Different, uh, different, different strokes for folks if you're trying to invest, say, in, down in Orchard, down in the East Coast. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, you have to go and do your homework and really try to try to um, uh, figure out what the intricacies of that markets are. And, you know, it's, it, it's funny because I do have a friend in Manila who is an Australian citizen and he's been asking me, where should I buy? Should I buy in the in the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast? I said, well, A, I'm not entirely familiar with either of those places. And regardless, and if you're listening right now, MG, you've got to go in and do your research <laughs> and you've got to do your homework, get your boots on the ground and figure out what drives these markets because that's not something I can answer in a Singaporean radio booth. All right. Final word there from uh, Jay Piong. Thank you very much to him. He'll be back later on on Primetime with his uh, business updates. And thank you to Jeff Howie, regular contributor here on Money FM, the SGX market strategist. This has been our Market View update here on Workday Afternoon. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.